Entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. You're the first one in, last one out, and you do whatever it takes to succeed. Nonetheless, 25 million Americans have chosen the entrepreneurial life because it's equal parts demanding and fulfilling. Welcome to the People First, Then Profit podcast. Join hospitality veteran, photographer, and entrepreneur Don Mamoni each week as he hosts a candid, no-holds-barred conversation with successful business owners and entrepreneurs eager to share their professional secrets with you. Like his crazy Italian family does on Sunday nights, he's serving up a healthy portion of inspiration, motivation, and education, so I hope you're hungry. Now, here's your host, Don Mamoni. Welcome to the People First and Profit podcast. I am super excited. Today we're talking about when your passion becomes your profit. I'm joined by special guest Tony Caggiano. I have to say it that way. I don't know why. Uh, Tony is a good friend of mine. We don't go way back in time, but we became fast friends and we're very well aligned on our mission. And this concept of when your passion becomes your profit resonates very strong with both of us. So Tony, I'm going to read your bio. We're going to talk a little bit about your history, how you got where you are, what your message is, and we're going to have a really good time. You ready? I'm ready. Sounds like fun. Tony Caggiano is a technology industry veteran, a serial entrepreneur, and a dedicated husband to his wife, Kim, and loving father to Dylan, 14, and Aiden, 10. It was from deep within these professional and personal roots that the ADA comply guy was born. Tony's son, Dylan, was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. Since then, he and his wife, Kim, have dedicated much time and effort to allow Kim the opportunity to write a book to help other parents with autistic children, which will be published in October. Based on his experience with Dylan and the autism community over the years, Tony developed a heightened awareness of the desire to help other differently abled communities live full and complete lives. The ADA Comply Guy understands the importance of and is on a mission to ensure every website and sales funnel is accessible to users with disabilities in an effort to enable or improve their experience. With his simple to install software, business owners and entrepreneurs can immediately increase their audience, ensure their site is ADA compliant, and greatest of all, help ensure the internet is accessible to people of all abilities. Welcome, Tony. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, when we first met, which was on Amplify My Impact, our Friday call where we mastermind and chat about the struggles, challenges, and the unbelievable opportunity to be a digital entrepreneur, we connected and I said, I can't believe I never worried about my website being ADA compliant mm -hmm. and more importantly, usable by those that are differently abled. I was very happy to meet you. Well, thank you. Uh, likewise, I was extremely happy to meet you as well. We're going to go on a journey and we're going to figure out how you got to become the ADA Comply Guy. And that's, okay. that's kind of a path. I mean, you have been a serial entrepreneur for most of your life. I have, yes. So but I want you to just kind of walk us through the journey and how you got here. Well, just to preface it, I did wind up going to college and I did have those years where I spent in corporate America working for other people. But my journey got started back when I was probably around 10 years old. You know, I came from a middle-class family. You know, we weren't the Rockefellers and we weren't poor, but you know, we had to budget. We mm -hmm. had to, you know, sacrifice some things that my sister and I wanted. You know, I remember my parents saved up their money for like six months to buy me one of the first Walkmans for my birthday. You know, Is that right? What I wanted. And uh, I still remember my sister was jealous because she, she didn't have a Walkman and I did. And I was the younger sibling. But, was uh, it one of the big Sony yellow ones or no? No. You know what it was? It was, it, it was a transistor radio really. It had no 
no cassette player in it or in it, whatever. It was blue and it had headphones and that's it. And it was a radio. It, it was wow. It was all okay. I'm dating myself now. So, but I saw that and I was like, wow, they really had to save up. And I knew that if I wanted things as I got older, then I was going to have to be a little more self-sufficient, you know, rather Mm -hmm. than just wait for them to be able to afford things. I wound up, I don't remember how it happened, but I had a neighbor and we didn't live in communities like we do today. I lived in in Western Massachusetts in the middle of the woods and the next house was a half mile down the street. I was able to contact some of our friends who were neighbors to see if they needed their grass cut. I was happy to find that people were very open to saying, yeah, come cut my grass. And so I would go cut their grass for $15 a yard. And um, I think I got like five or six clients. Some of them I could ride my bike to because they all provided me with their lawnmowers. Yeah. So um, I just rode my bike to a lot of them. And some of them, my parents took me once a week, but I was able to, you know, go and make my own money and be self-sufficient. And that was my first real spark of, Hey, you know, I could do something for myself and make money. And this, you were 10? 10, yes. Man, I, so when I said that you've been an uh, entrepreneur for, a serial entrepreneur for the better part of your life, I had no idea. Zero idea it started when you were 10. I love the industriousness of that. So, I mean, that's really where it started. And I, I think from then on, I've always been one to take my time and use it for making money or doing something that I'm passionate about because it's just something that was instilled in me early on. But with the way the society is, you know, you go through school and, you know, you graduate from high school and you go off to college and you get a degree and Mm -hmm. go and and work for a corporate company. And that's where you're going to make the big bucks, right? Mm -hmm. That's not really how it happened for me. And I'm sure a few other people out there can say the same. So when I went to college, I didn't want to have a regular job. A lot of my friends were working at McDonald's or I had a friend who worked in a car wash and, you know, just the type of jobs that college kids do. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do something that was fun and I can make a lot more money out of. And it just, it turned out that I was able to go into becoming a DJ. I had a Mm. friend whose dad owned a skating rink, which I went and hung out with him in the DJ booth one day. And I was like, I love this. This is so cool. I could do this. He's like, all right, take over. And he's like, go ahead. And so I just started right then and there playing music at the skating rink. And from there, it just, you know, it, it blew up from doing that to start doing school parties. You know, I took my passion of being a DJ and turned it into a, a, a business that was a 22 year span that helped me really expand other things I was doing, helped me invest in real estate, me start mm-hmm. my IT company, and it just helped me do a lot of things. It actually helped me through college because I, w- I didn't need to spend a lot of my weekends, you know, working at McDonald's or after school, I was able to go out and party at college parties and get paid for yeah. it. So yeah. you know, that, that's really the passion of if you can do something that you love and enjoy and get paid for it, then, then that's, that's a lot. So I want to take a quick flashback to the young man that was cutting grass. Okay. And I want to distill that out for the audience. I don't think that any 10-year-old is passionate about cutting grass. But what I heard and what I love is you, even at 10, were willing to look around you and see that your parents were working hard, you know, just getting by. And he thought, if I make money on my own, I can contribute to this family in a way by either not having to ask for as much Mm -hmm. or maybe even providing some things for the family. And that's what you were passionate about. I was at at 10 years old. It was all about the almighty dollar, you know, and it wasn't until years later, which I really found out what, you know, the profit is back then. It was my, my father was a hardworking meat cutter and he would go to Mm -hmm. work every day, work really hard, come home. But there were years where meat cutters weren't as needed and he was laid off a lot. And so he always instilled in me, go get a good job, go to college, make a lot of money, go to wall street, make a lot of money and you'll be happy. 
it wasn't until later on, I think after college, mm -hmm. when you know I graduated and I started going to corporate America and I found it wasn't all that I was expecting it to be. You know, I was in a job, um, I took a job as an insurance agent. I started off with MetLife and then I moved over to Mass Mutual and I was doing the work, mm -hmm. but I wasn't happy, you know, and I didn't enjoy it. And so another story of, of how I got started in my IT business was, you know, I, I enjoyed in my spare time building computers. It was right around the time that Michael Dell was doing it, but unfortunately mm -hmm. I didn't get that big. Um, <laughs> I was, I was working at the office one day at Mass Mutual and I had this guy come in and they were installing a new token ring network. That was before ethernet came about. And mm -hmm. he didn't seem like he knew what he was doing. He was fiddling around with the wires near my desk. And I was like, can I give you a hand? He's like, sure. And so I helped him pull some wire. I was talking to him and I was like, wow, I really enjoy doing this because I know what I'm doing. You know, I went home that night and I was thinking about it. I think it took me a week or two to really make the decision, but I went back and I quit my job. I was just wow. like, I, I can't do this anymore. Luckily, I was single and I didn't have a family to support. So it was a little bit easier. And I also had the DJ work. So that was my, my second income. So it, it helped buffer that. But I, I sat in my cubicle for the last day of my job and I was like, okay, I got to go in there and just let them know I mm -hmm. can't do this anymore. I'm not happy. I'm waking up each morning dreading going to work and I can't do that. I think that was my first spark of, you know, money really isn't everything if you're not happy. It's so interesting to me, Tony, because even for somebody who had this feeling at 10, you still sort of, I don't want to say succumbed, but in a sense, succumbed to the, this is just what we do. We go to college, we get a degree, we have that experience, and then we get a job. It takes enormous courage to quit a job that pays you, gives you benefits, gives you security. It takes enormous courage to do that. So that just goes to show you how powerful the passion must have been mm -hmm. to be happy and to do something that you're passionate about. I had the same crystallized moment thinking, I just can't do this anymore. I can't do this particular job. I have to go do something else. So it, it was difficult, but I also, you know, and, and I can't, I can't take as much credit as some people who have nothing to fall back on and sure. they get to that point. And I've, I've met a lot of people that have gotten to that point and they took the absolute blind faith leap off the edge of the cliff. I was lucky enough to have, you know, some entrepreneurial spirit and had started my DJ company and, you know, had other sources of income. I was actually buying and selling cars on eBay at the time. Was, <laughs> now you're really dating yourself. <laughs> it wasn't as difficult, although it was, like you said, it was where the benefits were coming from. It was the confidence in myself to say that, you know, I'm going to leave this job and I'm going to go do something that I love and really focus on, on doing that because of the lessons that I learned earlier on in life. And that's one of the things that I try to help other entrepreneurs that didn't have that opportunity earlier in life to understand about entrepreneurship and mm -hmm. are getting introduced to it by other people that they're seeing online now who want to do something, but they don't know what to do. So yeah. I like to help them out no matter where you are in your journey. If you're just getting started or you've tried entrepreneurship or done network marketing or anything that you've tried to do, you know, mm -hmm. it's, a lot of it is about mindset, but it's never too late to start. True. That's true. And what we're going through right now, I think that there's going to be a huge growth in the entrepreneurship space, because I think there's an economic need for people to find something creative to do, to try to get through the struggles we're in right now. But I think it's also that people probably understand more than ever the value of the time that we have on the earth and doing something that we're passionate about. Uh, we can distill all that down into the fact that you were a serial entrepreneur from the age of 10. You were good at it. You love it. You wanted to pursue it. It of course was when your son was diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. You saw the world through a new set of eyes. I did. So can you tell me about that? 
Sure. That actually started before our son was diagnosed. Earlier on, when I was a younger adult, you know, I was involved with the Boy Scouts and mm -hmm. I worked with a, a disabled troop with a, a bunch of different boys and young men and really learned or got familiar with people with disabilities. Because before then, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any contact or anything like that with anybody as a young person with someone with disabilities. And it really gave me a real insight on if you don't have that connection as a young person, then you don't understand what somebody with a different ability is going through and what their struggles are and things like that. And even though they might be different than you, they still have the same wants and needs as, as all of us. And so mm -hmm. I got really close with a young man. His name was Tommy. Um, he had Down syndrome and he and I were kind of paired up in some of our camping activities that we were doing together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really got to know him really, really well. And, and Tommy really stuck with me for a long time because I really understood him from a deeper level, even though he didn't have the cognitive abilities or the communication like you and I, we, he couldn't hold a conversation, but I was able to understand him from a deeper level. And that always mm -hmm. stayed with me in, in the back of my mind. And then years later, when I was in corporate America, I had the opportunity through one of my jobs to work for the Special Olympics. And oh, wow. I jumped at that and I was just a, a volunteer, but I got to see a lot of the Olympians and, and what they were doing. And to me, that really showed me that if you put your mind to something, it doesn't matter if you have a disability or not, you can, you can accomplish anything, you know, and, and to get a little spiritual, I, I feel that God doesn't give you things that you can't handle. You know, when I got married and, you know, our son was diagnosed, that was just another thing that God blessed me with. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was difficult at the time because autism was kind of new. It was a, a wide spectrum where, you know, your son could be over here or your son could be over here. And he was somewhere in that spectrum and we didn't quite understand what that meant. So we had a large learning curve to really learn about autism as much as they knew. We had an obligation to figure out what resources were available to us and to get him the right resources. And what we found out was the diagnosis wasn't really a disability for him. It was a different ability. And we just had to figure out how he was able to learn mm -hmm. and teach him in that way. Because some people are, you know, hands-on learners, you know, mm -hmm. and some people can listen and take notes and learn things like that. So we all learn differently. And from what we found with our son is that it was just a different way that we weren't used to teaching him and figuring out what worked with him and giving him what he needed. And we've been very blessed that today we've been able to work with him over the years. And as he got older, he understood he had autism, but he never looked at it as a crutch or a disability. He always looked at it as a superpower and, mm -hmm. and I give him a lot of credit because he's got a big heart too and he loves helping other people, but he's been able to figure out how he learns and he's still, you know, we still give him extra help and being home sure. schooled through the internet now with the schools, um, I'm able to, you know, take time out of my day to help him and my wife is able to take time out of her day to help him be successful, but he's really come a long way and assimilated into regular ed classrooms. So I give my wife a lot of credit for being the stay-at-home mom and learning what she has. You know, that was her full time job for many years, yeah. kind of still is to help our kids get the resources that they need to be successful. I love everything about that. And here's the deal. If we're going to talk about marrying up uh, with Kim and Emily, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> we're both very fortunate to be married to amazing women. What I got out of that story 
that I love so much, Tony, is your adaptability, your appreciation and empathy and caring and genuine connection that you made with people of varying abilities Mm -hmm. came home to you by way of your miracle child, as you said, and was a gift to you. And Mm -hmm. that society at large at the time was maybe not as patient, caring and understanding, but it's coming along. Mm -hmm. Society is adapting the way that you did. A lot of education, you know, a lot of people have learned through the years through education. Well, and that's doing no small part to the efforts that you're putting forth, the work that Kim has put into to the children, to writing a book. I mean, your contribution to the community is already very well cemented. And then we haven't even necessarily gotten to your moment in the beginning part of this year. You decided you were going to be working on an app. It was an app that connected corporations with charities in need and schools and different places that needed funding and and services and items to benefit people in need. And then the COVID. Right. That's how the ADA Comply Guy was born. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is miraculous. And And the title of the podcast is When Your Passion Becomes Your Profit. The ADA Comply Guy isn't your passion. Your passion and your superpowers are far reaching, man, because we're talking about somebody that as far back as being a young man, working with people of varying abilities to having a son of varying abilities and jumping headfirst into that community, then to go on to say, here's this ubiquitous thing. So many people take for granted. We're privileged to use it. It's so unbelievable that the internet exists. And yet we have this huge group of people that can't use it in the same way. And so you created easily installable software that allows a website to become accessible to people of varying abilities. Mm-hmm. Did I do a good job of summarizing how you got where you are? You did. That was that was phenomenal. One small part I do have to correct you on, though. I didn't create the software, and I don't want to take credit for, okay. for that. When I was putting together the app, it was a fundraising app for schools, like you said, connecting them with businesses to do fundraising mm-hmm. for the schools. Because our local schools here in North Carolina, some of them in, in the small towns are very in need of funding. For two years, I started developing this app. And when I got to the point where we're, you know, we had a prototype all built, and I needed to go out and learn how to market it, figure out how we're going to get it out there, as well as find a developer to do the final development of the app. I found the ClickFunnels community for marketing it, um, Mm -hmm. which led me to this amazing community of people, which led me to meeting you. And it also led me to meeting different developers and what they were doing. And Mm -hmm. one of the the developer groups that I was in, I found the developer of this software. And I, I knew being in the IT industry that years ago, I heard about ADA compliance and accessibility for websites. But what it meant back then was that you had to spend thousands of dollars and go to your web developer. You take a checklist of probably, I think now it's it's over 80 or 90 different things that you have to comply with in your website in order to be 100% AAA ADA compliant. But they're all things that you have to build into your website that are static. And so it meant to go and spend thousands dollars to hire a website designer and do this. So a lot of the little guys couldn't do this. So the big guys went out and, and they have their internal IT staff and website developers and said, hey, go fix all these, go through this checklist, redo the website. And today, a lot of those websites are compliant, but you wouldn't even know it because what they do is a lot of the things are static. So you have to have certain fonts, certain contrast and things like that. Yeah. But they do the bare minimum. So that way, you know, it can be compliant. Just doing the bare minimum to, right. to remain compliant. But then years, you know, then the little guys started getting hit and they really had no 
way of spending the money. And so every, they were just kind of taking the chance, you know, because more and more since 2017, the amount of cases from the ADA against small to medium sized businesses has been growing steadily. But then came along this type of software and my the software that I have, you know, I work with this developer to be able to supply it to my customers, but there are other competitors out there. And, and, I'll, and I, I think competition is a good thing, especially in this type of market where there's sure. a learning curve. But my main goal as the ADA comply guy is to spread the word and the message that there are a lot of reasons why as a business person, you really should have an accessible website, not just to cover your butt, you know, with the ADA, but mm -hmm. also for the greater good of the disabled community to allow them the right to utilize the internet. What you said is so important. So you're, you're not only encouraging people to be ADA compliant, which is important because you, you want to try to make sure that you're in compliance with regulatory agencies, but more importantly, you should want your website to be easily accessible to people of all abilities. It's not only for your business, but for the benefit of those people, mm -hmm. right? When I started talking to you about this, my immediate thought was if I had a business, a brick and mortar business, I would do everything I could do to be ADA compliant. And yet when we think about the internet, we just don't think about it that way. We think right. it's just this ubiquitous thing out there. And, you know, if people need uh, different things to accommodate reading or hearing, or, that's on them. And that's yeah. so not fair. They, they already have enough opportunities where they have to do the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. The thing about it, from what I learned is this isn't even heavy lifting, right? It, it, I engaged uh, with you. You sent me a snippet of code. We put it on my website and now when people go to my website, they click on a little button and they can view my website in whichever way makes it the most accessible to them, mm -hmm. uh, which I love. I think it's amazing. And in just eight months, you've made great progress. You have opened the eyes of many, many people on the fact that this is so important. How did you do that? What did you find to be your most successful process? Well, actually early on when I found ClickFunnels, you know, I really embraced the message of funnels and, you know, putting up a funnel. I'm going to put it up. Everybody's going to flock to it because, you know, now I'm saying that they need it. I'm going to be able to help thousands of people overnight. It doesn't always work like that. So wait a minute. No, there was a movie. I watched it in the nineties. It said, <laughs> if you build it, they will come. Right. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? Well, even it took the ghosts a little while to get there. So it did. It does. It doesn't work that easily. So you, you put it up, you did the work. So yeah. So I, I put it up, did the work and they didn't come. So I reverted back to something that I learned years ago when I had my other businesses, something I think that you know something about relationship marketing. Yeah. Going and really getting to know the people that are in the community that I'm learning from and getting to know them really well and learning how to help them really gave me exposure for them to want to learn what I did as well. And so building those relationships over the past nine months has really given me a platform to reach thousands of more people than I would have just by running Facebook ads or things like that in the very beginning, because people that I've met, including yourself, really helped me spread the message even farther than I even realized today. Because, you know, when you get to know somebody and you find out what they're doing and what they're passionate about, and you get to know them on a on more personal level, then you know, like, and trust that person and want to help them more. And that's the type of person that I am. And I love giving back. And I think, you know, there's a saying in the BNI community, which was one of the networking groups that I used to belong to was givers gain. And it really comes back to the same principle as people first, then profit is giving to the people, helping them first, and then not looking for something in return. It'll just come because the people that you build the relationships with are like-minded type of people. And they'll mm -hmm. help you and they'll give back to you in a way of helping you find clients and people that you want to reach that are also like-minded. And so you're building a community of followers that 
are like-minded and have a similar type of mission. And then you can grow your business from there. It's interesting, Tony, because we've talked about this in the past. You don't always know what a given person is going to mean to you. I have taught a networking course in the past and you and I've talked about it. I don't like the word networking. I think networking is very valuable and it's something we should do, but the word networking just doesn't sound like fun. Mm -hmm. And so I called it, take the work out of networking. And one of the things that I talk about to crystallize how important it is to not just assume that if a person doesn't fit into a cute little categorized box for you, that doesn't mean that they're not a value or that you can't serve them. And so if I take our relationship as an example, I met you through Jorge and Cassie's Amplify My Impact group. I love ending my week with that call. Mm -hmm. People are in there championing each other, helping each other, educating each other. And so when you told me what you did, my immediate thought was I should connect with this guy because I do have a website and this does sound like something that's important. And it could have been very transactional. I could have said, hey, I I need your software. Go ahead and give me your software. I'm going to pay you the money and let's put it up on the website. But we got to know each other. We chatted. You and I have lamented the struggles that we're going through, the hard work it takes to sort of educate people on the mission that we're on. And it has grown grown to become a truly bedrock relationship that is invested in the betterment of both of our missions. Absolutely. Yeah. And that never would have happened if we hadn't dug deep enough to figure out just how well aligned we are, just how important our missions are, how we can help one another. And that's one of the things I wrote down from when we spoke before. You tend to approach relationship marketing, networking, whatever you want to call the different things that we do to try to establish those relationships. You tend to lead with how can I help you? Mm-hmm. And it goes to that givers get, right? Absolutely. If you lead in with how can I help you? What can I do for you? Then ultimately it'll come back your direction. It does. And you know, I learned that years ago, but it also, for me, I, I get a lot out of helping people. So we've talked before about people first and profit and profit isn't always monetary. And Mm -hmm. I totally understand that because I profit a lot through how I feel when I help others. And Mm -hmm. if, if I don't get back right then and there, that's totally fine with me. When I see them get through a struggle or I've been able to offer some assistance to, then that makes me feel really good. And I just love giving. And I don't know what it is. That's just how I am. So that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, my mission to me is so important because I want to help so many people. Um, Mm -hmm. But to get there along the way, I'm meeting people and helping them with other things. You know, being an entrepreneur for 30 years, I love giving back and helping, you know, people who are starting out in entrepreneurship or are struggling or just trying to get to that next level. If I can give them a little bit of wisdom of something that I learned the hard way, Mm -hmm. I I hope it helps them. You know, it's kind of like being a parent. I always try to show my boys things that I struggled with and so that they don't have to learn the hard way. And unfortunately, as a kid, sometimes they do still have to learn the hard way because they don't listen. You have to learn the hard way as an entrepreneur too. (laughs) If I can help them skip over one little hard thing and they can go on to the next hard thing faster, you know, use my failure as their failure and then move on to the next one that they have to go through. So you said something that was mentioned on my last podcast and is very prevalent in the marketing space. And that's the no like, and trust concept, right? Relationship marketing when done right, isn't done fast. Right. It's something that you put time into, that you nurture, that you establish those bonds. It's funny because just recently, I think I was telling Cassie, actually, the no like, and trust falls short for me. And I think it's because I'm a big emotional hearts and flowers kind of person, but it's no like, trust, love, adore, cherish, doesn't just end Mm -hmm. at no like and trust. And this crystallized for me earlier this week, no like and trust. If love is the next step of that, we've talked about marrying up and how wonderful our wives are. For me, in my personal relationship is caring more about the other person, their interests, their wants, their needs, 
how you can serve them and make their life better more than your own. Mm -hmm. You never have to worry about yourself because the other person's taking care of that. And what you just described, Tony, is so cool because if we could all approach business relationships in that same manner, everybody wins. Yeah, absolutely. That creates an environment of just unbelievable reciprocity, mm -hmm. but it's the height of paying it forward. I'm so glad that you said it that way. The no like and trust concept and the fact that these people are out there giving to you and you're giving to them. That's what happens when your passion becomes your profit. You're going to work hard to make sure those people get. It's cool to see it in its practice. It's cool to see it, you know, not in theory, but in actual practice. But it's not always easy. So I want to take a moment to talk about the struggles. You're a serial entrepreneur. You've been doing it for the better part of your life. What in it, let's go ahead and just say in the last eight months, since you've been the ADA comply guy and you've been working to educate and connect and network and stuff, what are the biggest struggles and how did you get over those hurdles? Well, some of the biggest struggles, I think I'm still trying to you know, get over some of those hurdles. Being in this industry, I've never been involved in something that was so new. And, and I always thought like, if I can find the next big thing that nobody knows about, it's going to blow up and everybody's going to want it. Well, the other side of the coin that you don't see is Nobody knows about it. So you really have to work extra hard to get the word out and explain to people what it is you're trying to do. Nobody knows about it. It's going to be great. But wait a minute. Nobody knows about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Because, it is true. It's funny. Um, that's where I look at you know the concept of competition is so important. Mm -hmm. You touched on this in your last episodes too about how competition is good. You know, especially in in the situation that I'm in because it's it is a struggle. It's taken a lot longer than I thought in the beginning to really get the word out to really get it to the masses because again people don't understand or really know what I'm trying to do out there and spread this word. And there are other companies out there. It's not out there enough where the masses know about it and say, oh, I, I'm going to pick your software over your software. My mission really is my main goal. You know, I, I hope people do utilize my software so that way I can grow the business and get the message out there even more. Yes, mm -hmm. obviously I'm in business to make money and grow the business. But my main focus is the mission. And if somebody sees the fact that they need to have an accessible website and decides to go use one of my competitors, to me, that's totally fine. There are millions of websites out there. And as long as my mission accomplishes getting somebody to take that step and become accessible to allow the people who need the tools on the website to utilize them, then that is an accomplishment to me. And you know that that's a win in my column. I think that's an accomplishment for anyone. And I think that's definitely a win for anyone because you point out that when nobody knows about it, you can be that cutting edge person that comes in and teaches them. But it is truly an effort because it's not like you're solving a problem that they already know about. Mm -hmm. They may be in a position where they're just unaware or it's not a focus of theirs. And so you not only have to educate them on it and show them, but show them the value. And that's not an enviable position. I have a saying, congratulations, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I am so appreciative of your relationship. I am so appreciative of the efforts you're putting forth. Before we go, we of course need to tell the audience where they can find you. I am so happy to you know talk to people and educate them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I love, again, meeting people and finding out what their needs are so they can reach me directly on Facebook. I'm very active there. But also if they want to just 
get to know more about ADA compliance and website accessibility, they can go to adacomplyguy.com. The website has a lot of information in it and I am updating it, you know, with more because, you know, when I became the ADA Comply Guy, I really wanted to own it. You know, I'm not just going to go out there and make a brand. I wanted to become the ADA Comply Guy so that way I could become, you know, the expert in this industry. And over the nine months, I've learned more and more. And every day I try to learn something new about it so that way I can better educate the community. That's why I'm continually updating the website and making it easier for people to understand. And uh, if we have time, I just wanted to tell a little story that I put together. If we... we have we have plenty of time. Before you tell your story, I want to ask you what the statistic was that you told me. There's a new statistic that I found. 18% of internet users, because of the 25% of the population, some of them may sure. not use the internet, but 18% of internet users have some kind of disability that hinders their ability to use a website without accessibility tools. That was your lead in. Hey, I'm Tony Caggiano. I'm the ADA Comply Guy. If I told you that 20% of the population isn't able to use your website and my ears perked up and I thought, what? In case anybody needs a little push and in case anybody needs a reminder, this is a passion of yours mm -hmm. from when you were a very young man, serving a community, jumping in with both feet. And so I thank you for that. And I'm excited to hear your story. Let's tell your story. What was the story you wanted to share? In this journey over the past nine months, I've tried to refine, and as I educate myself, refine my message so that way people can understand it. And it really hit me when I was talking to somebody else and they thought accessibility meant access to the internet. So I was like, oh my God, am I, is, is my message not clear enough about what I'm trying to do? Because, you know, people know that there are places where people don't have access to internet or computer, mm -hmm. things like that. Sure. So they're not able to use the internet, but this is more accessibility on websites. So I put together this story of a contractor. So imagine you are a contractor and you're going to a job site to build a house. And in mm -hmm. front of you, you have three options of houses that you can build. And then the first site, they give you all the wood and all the nails, but no hammer. So you have to go build this house somehow drive the nails into the wood without any tools. The second house site, you have all the wood and all the nails, but they give you a hammer. So you have the tool to build the house, but it's gonna require a lot of effort and maybe too much effort that you may give up before the house is even built. Mm -hmm. Third house you're gonna to go to and you're gonna get all the same tools, but they're also gonna include a pneumatic nail gun. This nail gun is adjustable to the way that you do your work, whether it's really, really fast or slow, but whatever it is, it's going to give you the right tool to do the job efficiently and quickly. If you look at these three houses as your website, the first website has no tools it's very difficult for somebody to use. The second house, yes, you have some accessibility to it. It's bare minimum. It's very static in the way that, you know, somebody has their website pre-built by a web designer. There's no tool to adjust it to what their specific needs are. And then mm -hmm. the analogy of the last house where you have the nail gun that is adjustable to how you do your work. You have this toolbar, which is dynamically adjustable to make the site just how you want it, whether you need to change the contrast, whether you need to make it black and white for people who are colorblind, or if you just need the screen reader to read the words to you, you have all those tools available. I just wanted to tell that story to help people understand a little bit more what we can do for their websites to make it more accessible to people. And for the people that want to, to visit those sites, the coolest thing about that story, Tony, is it was spoken by a man that was clearly rooted in in helping people of varying abilities and that that's his passion and it's become his profit because the way you told that story spoken like somebody that truly cares is experienced in the space of helping people of varying abilities 
have a similar, if not the same experience as everybody else. So that's incredibly inspiring. And I thank you for trying to share it in a way that was very easily understood. So as we wrap up, we've told them where to find you, adacomplyguy.com. Yes? Yes. And on Facebook, I'm going to put all the resources in the description anyways. We end this really fun way. I started doing it on my first episode. So it's the lightning round. Cool. I just start firing off a couple of questions, something fun, something different. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to the first one, Mac or PC? I love Macs, but I've been a PC user forever, so I stick with that. But I ha- I'm I'm an iPhone user, so that's where I get my Apple. Chips or Doritos? Kettle kettle chips, definitely. Kettle chips, specific, yeah. specific. You're you're definitely an IT guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Red wine or white wine? Oh gosh, you know, I'm embarrassed to answer this because I am Italian and I can't drink wine. So Oh, um, okay. Do you not drink at all cuz the next question is light beer or dark beer? I like a beer every once in a while. I'm not an avid drinker, but I'll drink a Guinness. I I do enjoy Guinness. Happy St. Patrick's Day, friend. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, listen, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure not only to interview you, but to know you. We talked earlier today and we were both very excited and encouraged uh, for the synergy that's going to happen between the two of us. I think the audience was able to be inspired, motivated, and educated. The path of an entrepreneur is never easy. You have spent the better part of your life in the up and down roller coaster that is the life of an entrepreneur. And you're here, you're still fighting, and you're fighting for something that you're so unbelievably passionate about that you're inspiration for anyone that's Thank looking you. to do this. Any final words? It's a pleasure and honor to know you and I look forward to seeing what we can do together to help change the world. Man, I'll tell you, mutual respect and admiration is the absolute best. So thanks for that. I appreciate it. And with that, we'll bring this episode to a conclusion. Thanks again for being here, Tony. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the People First in Profit podcast. If you like this episode, and I'm pretty sure you did, subscribe, review, and share it with your friends, fans, and followers wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the show notes for additional information about this week's guest, as well as a list of all the links and resources we discussed. Be sure to visit peoplefirstinprofit.com for a ton of great content, free resources, and links to the People First in Profit community. All right, I'm Adam Wilmore, and on behalf of your host, Don Mamoni, we'll see you next week. Thank you.